For the first time, Americans today are not free to say what they think. If they say something deemed offensive or insensitive or, worst of all, hate speech, they may be in serious trouble. They may be punished for violating the unholy commandments of the 90s, commonly known as political correctness. But is political correctness a new phenomenon? We'll show you tonight that political correctness has been in the making for more than eight decades. And it seems that a deteriorating society is exactly what political correctness strives for. But just what is political correctness? As you're about to see, political correctness is nothing less than a Marxist ideology. Yes, folks. Political correctness. A Marxist ideology. That's what Marx fan. Get those comedians. Get those comedians out of here. Out of here. Back with me. Hello, David. Hey, brother, man. We're bringing back the hits tonight. I mean, that is. I, I love just how congruent, like, the 90s freak out about this stuff is to what's going on right now in 2023. I mean, we're going really deep in the bag, and you might. David says the '90s. Talk about the 1890s with uh, with uh, with uh, one of these examples. Uh, I mean, let's just get into this a little bit. We got uh, Thomas Kennedy on to talk to Santis. Uh, speaking of folks who say they're pro free speech while you know having extremely reactionary uh, agendas uh, and policies, um, that was William Lind, who, along with the Paul Weyrich, uh, leader of the uh, Heritage, or one of the co-founders of the Heritage Foundation helped the right transition from being explicitly segregationist to making it about things like religious liberty and freedom of speech. Mm-hmm. Uh, compl- a complaint that is, uh, you know, I, we're hearing it a lot now, but I think something that I want to stress is that uh, this is not, uh, it's not anything new. This is not even from the nineties. Um, this is not even like, this is even before the cultural Marxist, which Lind really hates. Uh, uh of the frankfurt school uh this goes before then um let's start with a little guy named charles murray Mm -hmm. charles murray uh is the folks don't know the along with another guy who died when murray was doing all the press hernstein or something like that uh author of a book called the bell curve which purported to show that there's innate intelligence is tied to race that mean that there's nothing we can do with regards to, uh, like, say, black people in this country, that they're uh, where they are at cognitively, and it's not the product of anything to do with society. Uh, it's all to do with their genetics. We'll debunk this in a little, we'll debunk this right now. So this came up. Uh, Charles Murray has sort of moved on um, into this sort of, following the bell curve, he wrote a, a book called Losing Ground. Mm-hmm. which is basically a similar sort of thing, but just about poor whites, which is uh, um, instead of genetics, poor whites have sort of a cultural problem that is keeping them behind. Again, he's basically just naturalizing inequality uh, that you experience in the capitalist society. No, no. I mean, I, I was just going to say that like this becomes really big in like the eighties and in particular in the nineties as a way for conservatives to be able to talk about the problem of poverty that most people are recognizing 
was ha happening. And like, of course, they don't like things um, like social programs to help people who are dealing with poverty. I mean, they certainly don't want to turn their attention at the actual systems and the causes of poverty, which is a, hyper, a system of like hyper exploitation named capitalism. Um, so they start cooking up these theories um, that, that, you know, it's the decline in the family structure, right? It's the decline um, in the cultural norms, right? Music is celebrating like gang violence and, you know, criminal yeah. behavior. So that's why these people are sort of stuck um, in poverty and not the fact that people um, are, are put into, you know, positions um, because of the needs of this kind of productive monster that we have um, under like American capitalism, right? This kind of hyper focus is like, oh, it's culture, right? And you see like, like that's the negative side of it, right, Matt? But you can mm -hmm. see that like the other side of that ideology, you see that now with like the kind of like, TikTok finance hustlers, right? Like the thing that's keeping you down is that like you don't have a rise and grind mentality. And, you know, if you buy my Bitcoin or if you like find a way to own a small family home and become a landlord, then you're going to be rich, just like all of the other rich folks, right? So like yeah. that, you know, those are two sides of the same kind of argument about like why there is poverty in a country like the United States of America. Yeah, I mean, they're really just so stories. Like we have a term for this stuff. It's it's like explanations that seem like they, they're sort of a plausible, maybe ra like um, when considered in absence of anything else. Like, okay, maybe that's the case. And Charles Murray is still on his shit now. Um, you know, I love saying, this one. Uh, I mean, it's too, probably a bit too convoluted to get into, but they're talking about something called uh, cold winters theory. Charles Murray jumps in. To me, the core truth of the cold winters theory is this. Humans in places where temperatures get lethally cold all die 100% unless they figure out ways to stay warm. There's no other comp comparably ruthless environmental demand. So this is like... Uh, <laughs> which, which is like historically yeah. is wild too, right? Um, I mean, you know, you, you all remember when you do your like world history like in elementary school you study like the Indus Valley civilizations, not the Scandinavian like mega civilizations, right? There's right. Like, yes. You know what I mean, like there's a part of the Babylon. world where like, civilization really thrived um, and was very advanced. <laughs> there's parts of the world where it was very, very um, disorganized for a long time, right? And so this argument yeah. that like the literal environment is what's shaping cultures versus like actual conditions in the way that systems and societies are set up to produce goods for use. Um, right. It's just like, it's the most like bizarre Reddit brain kind of thing. And like, you know, I don't even want to use Reddit brain because obviously that's like a very particular group of people, right? This is like central to a lot of American conservative thought. Um, yeah. And so let's, I want to play this clip of Hitchens because there's this article he wrote, which accurately predicts that this is the sort of bullshit that, that um, they be talking about as sun people and ice people. But there's this clip from this panel. It's available on C-SPAN. Very interesting panel with um, Hitchens and some other folks, um, Mark Crispin-Miller and Walter Isaacson go back and forth. Uh, Crispin-Miller, more of an independent journalist type. Um, Walter Isaacson, the Time uh, uh, editor. Um, Hitchens is there uh, really holding it down. I think uh, very interesting. This full, mm -hmm. this full thing is actually very interesting because it's, it's at a time before this, all this independent media has developed. And they're talking about like how you decide on what things to write. And what I like about this is Hitchens will dispense entirely with Murray's arguments here. 
But he also says something that I think is important and I think we're guilty of on the left, which is to say like, oh yeah, you can't trust anything from the mainstream media. That's mm-hmm. not actually the message. The message is that it's all biased in a certain way, in particular in terms of like capital empire. But we've gotten a little bit too far in like the whole distrust everything you see with your eyes totally. a sort of thing, which it gets a little bit like if you look at watch the Nexium documentaries, it's a little bit cult literally um, more charitably. It's about, you know, I'm the brand you can come to and give your uh, attention and dollars to because mm. I'm the only trustworthy one. And I, I, I just appreciate, I wanted to include the start of this because I think Hitchens makes this point nicely. Look, There is no shortage of information in this country. You can find out anything you want, including what firm exploits who, and you can find it through the mass media if you wish. I hope we really are not under any illusion about what we're talking about here. We are drowning in information. The question is not what you think, but how you think. If I may recur to it, for example, um, have you ever seen, however, a story about Cuba, no matter what it said, where the lead was not, will this country, this island nation, become or will it not become more friendly to American interests after all this time? That is the line of the day. A reporter who doesn't write about Cuba in that respect won't write about Cuba at all. Take Farai's very good point about Charles Murray. I was the first person, I think I can say, in fact, I know I was the first person to debate, to debate publicly with Charles Murray on the bell curve. I was very, very keen that book got wide publicity. Um, and I was sad that our debate didn't get as much as it could have done, because it is either true, um, according to these findings and others, it's either true that there's a great deal of race and class subordination going on in America to create an underclass, or it is true that the um, abused uh, and much inseminated descendants of our former domestic servants are stupid, okay? One or other of these things must be true on the findings. And it's a very interesting discussion indeed. And it was very good for Murray to bring it up. Did you read one story? That- now, I did, before we get to this part, I just want to say there are people on Reddit who are confused by this. They seem like he seems to be encouraging Murray. <laughs> and Hitchens is a very ironic person. It should totally. have been clear in the way he set this up saying, uh, on the one hand, there might be a lot of race and class subordination created in an underclass. Mm-hmm. That is what Hitchens himself believes. And that's why he he welcomes that conversation. Totally. Uh, as opposed to, say, the much abused and, as Hitchens, of course, says, inseminated because of uh, – if you're going to talk about genetics, you got to talk about crossbreeding with the fucking master class, right, uh, in, with, with American black people in the sl- like slave population. And But then this is the point that he makes here, which I appreciate the way he clocks this, um, which is like how you are, in fact, able to write about this stuff. Stupid, okay? One or other of these things must be true on the findings. And it's a very interesting discussion indeed, and it was very good for Murray to bring it up. Did you read one story that did not say that here is Mr. Murray and the late Professor Hernstein Line of the day, first paragraph, introduction paragraph, without which the story could not be written or published, at last breaking the taboo of political correctness on this subject. Absolutely. Then you can write about the belt. Then you can write about race and class. Then you can do it. It's not what you know or what you think. It's how you think and how you know what you know. It's about the construction of knowledge. Do you think... Yeah. Um, I mean, and really, like, th- we see this over and over again. I want to stay on this bell curve just for the folks mm-hmm. on the um, Sam Harris subreddit who weren't 
uh, entirely sure which side of the IQ debate uh, Hitchens comes down on. He, this is one of his best uh, is succinct columns. Like if you if this was your job for the week, uh, like this is Hitchens nailing it here. Uh, I'll just read a little bit from the uh, first paragraph. Um, uh, um, there is and there always has been an unusually high and consistent correlation between the stupidity of a given person and that uh, person's propensity to be impressed by the measurement of IQ. Uh, um, what is not the boys, uh, was it not the boy in the back of the class, that prognathius adult who removing grimy digit from well-excavated nostril, the better to breathe through his mouth would opine. They're not as intelligent as us been proved in it scientific. Let's just go a little bit to the science. Cause there's, there's stuff. And I recommend we sort of dealt with this in a video, uh, uh, that was on TMBS that's up on the majority report, mm-hmm. uh, a YouTube channel called Sam Harris lights his career on fire. Uh, that goes into some of the more uh, recent IQ stuff, but it hasn't really changed much since uh, um, Hitchens was talking to this do- um, uh, um, scientist here. Dr. William Hazeltine, who runs Human Genome Sciences, Inc., this concern uh, um, is by at least five, blah, blah, blah. His, his firm has recently identified the genes that predispose humans uh, to colonic, ovarian, and uterine cancers. We have gone in a relatively short time from identifying about 2% of the human uh, genes to more than 50%. Um, that's, uh, 2000, uh, 2000, 3000 to 60 to 70,000. And there are probably not more than a hundred thousand. If, uh, the system is a transistor, we have gone from analyzing the circuit boards to breaking down its components. And only one quarter of 1% of our basic genetic information can be ascribed to what we call racial differences. It is a difference between individuals that are enormous and becoming better known. There are almost 15 million changes in the genetic code between one human and another. Now this at, at this remove, this should be um, obvious to people mm-hmm. um, at how artificial race was. But let's let's just go a little bit further. In other words, scientific advance confirms that there is only one human quote race, and that the individual possesses fantastic complexity and variety. But pseudoscience persists in its petty quest for the elusive G spot of quantifiable intelligence, and the result of the latter practice is that individuals become subsumed into lumpish, arbitrary categories. And the conservatives want to take credit for the brilliance of the se- second option. Let them have, quote, the ice people and the, quote, sun people. Hitchens wrote this in 1994. This is still what fucking Charles Murray is doing. And yeah. all the rest of the rubbish, while the left emancipates itself from all versions of ethnicity and concentrates on what it should have never forgotten, what Gramsci called the project of the whole man. All societies that have tried to keep themselves pure from the Confucian Chinese through the Castilian Spanish to the post-Wilhelmine Germans will have collapsed into barbarianism, uh, insularity, and superstition. And swiftly enough for us to be certain that the fall was no more connected to the genes than was the rise. And this is the key point. And this is as well put as like you were talking about Stephen Jay Gould with Kevin Bird. But Mm -hmm. this is so well put. There is no gene for IQ and there is no genetic or evolutionary timing that is short enough to explain histories or societies. And I think that's that's the fundamental point right there. And like, you know, just for people who want to continue like exploring and learning on this, too, I I highly suggest reading the Field Sisters, you know, classic work, Racecraft. which also really breaks these um, the, these things down, and like the right has embraced them, and they are you know th- these tired ideas that have been debunked scientifically time and time again live and thrive um, in the space where the Sam Harris's and the Weinstein brothers or whatever say 
we're the only ones, we're the only rational, reasonable people who are willing to have these conversations because yeah. the woke mob, mob, or back in the 90s, the politically correct folks won't allow us to do this, right? Um, you know, time and time again, this has been just absolutely debunked. Uh, this idea that like there is like this genetic racial difference um, across a lot of things, but in particular in the case that they're trying to argue about in the level of intelligence mm -hmm. of people. IQ as a measurement is something that is highly flawed. In fact, people recognize it was flawed back in 1905. This isn't something that like later, um, you know, in, in like society, we realized was a big problem. Back then, people were criticizing and saying like, oh, this is probably not a great way to measure um, or, or treat as like an objective measurement of intelligence within people, right? Yeah. It, there's particular things, particular skills. Um, the testing, as people know, um, you know, has biases and, you know, you're going to have certain advantages depending on, um, on culture and all these other things that aren't reflected in like your actual intelligence, but more so um, in your ability to present in a way that is going to be reflected um, on these kind of, of tests. And of course, again, this is not new information, um, but it's something that like has held the mind and like the imagination of a certain section of the right for a long time. And I think because like there is this kind of general tendency, I think in, in humans in general to want to be able to take complex difficult things and be able to boil them down to a number, right? I'm 102, right? Or I'm 123 or you're 145, right? Like people want to be able to have that kind of measurement instead of recognizing that like intelligence is a very, very uh, complicated and, and fraught thing to be able to measure or understand in any um, metric. Yeah. And, you know, I, I also just want to underline like Hitchens is uh, like relishing, like when he says like he's glad um murray brought it up like that's it and he says indeed it's an important conversation to have because that stuff about the class oppression is important to talk to mm -hmm. if we don't talk about that stuff the charles murray sort of naturalization thing kind of runs on its own course mm -hmm. and 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 so like i mean that's why like actually elsewhere in in that uh talk uh, which we'll link to um hitchens basically says like this is why you give them an argument right like yeah. like like you need to be there and and i don't know if you have more to say on, on hitchens here but i do want to widen the scope a hundred years to yeah. uh and we'll start with this is from a book uh by fiat hall called the copperhead or the secret his political history of the civil war unveiled Ooh. and uh it sounds very interesting and i'll just cut to the chase here um uh cut to the 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 shot before we get to the uh, or, or the chase before we get to the shot but this is what <laughs> um this person has uh for us so <laughs> Uh, the New York world uh, of the above date gave illustrations of a series of seven heads from man like ape to ape like man up to the high intelligence. This ape like man is second in the, in the list. It was intended as a companion portrait to Mr. Lincoln's to show the similarity of the two brains. But our printer being a Republican and a gentleman of sensitive fine sentiment read PMC um, thinking it might have been taken as a character fit, uh, wished to be excused from printing it to which to spare his feelings we cheerfully consented and you know well i'll just go a little bit here's like what they're comparing it to look at that's proof uh lincoln is phenol uh um uh phrenologically uh uh less than but what's more interesting to me is all the fucking preface that i had to read to get to this part of this book 
which is the man who knows the truth and fears to declare it is a coward, but he who should suppress the truth is free speech should defend it through fear and conflicting. It's all this stuff about um, basically the woke mob. Um, uh, um, oh, here's a little bit more phrenology. Um, here's a little bit more. The, um, uh, and does uh, a Thomas Paine quote, the liberty of the press, it is like the air we breathe. If we have it not, we die. And it was from the teaching of Thomas Paine and his sympathizers in this country that the author of the Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights, that the inspiration came to embed the federal state, blah, blah, the provision that we must speak freely. Uh, and just one more that I think is the best. Um, that any person or speaker who exposes facts or expresses an opinion at variance with their assumption, arrogance, and dictation shall be suppressed by mob violence or any other means necessary mm -hmm. to crush out free speech. None but the guilty or cowards fear the truth. So, like, uh, what I'm saying is, like, look, I think free speech is massively important. When I traveled to London uh, looking for an internship in 2011, I wanted to work for Index on Censorship. I think that sort of mission is extremely valuable. I think American free speech is better than, say, for instance, China. Um, right? Nonetheless, this has been a vehicle for so fucking long. And it's the exact same thing of hiding the ball. And Hitchens is exactly right. We're only going to be able to discuss these sorts of things as if it's in the context of like, oh, this is it's a, a full populism. Hitchens goes on of, a, of a elitism masquerading as populism. And that's what this is of like, oh, now we're allowed to talk about it, but through the guise of actually maybe these hierarchies are genetically determined. And it's the exact same way when we have conversations about like COVID, for instance, and what's allowed and not allowed, disallowed to be said. On the one hand, it's we, we, uh, we, the Joe Biden, like we keep people back together, but take the vax. On the other hand, it's, it's this corporate authoritarianism, uh, maybe like a, a in bed with China um, to like take away our bodily autonomy. And and like so that's the point I want to make is just be aware of, uh, you know, the vehicles that certain uh, um, ad, uh, you know, people are using. Well, I mean, that that and also that um, fundamental to the project of the right has been trying to naturalize um, the human created order of capitalism right mm -hmm. um and and what the murrays do um what the sam harris's do is recognize the fact that there's social inequity in american society but rather than doing what like a marxist or somebody who uses a materialist analysis somebody who actually like studies the way that things work right the the actual like real production the real way that society functions the real way that we interact with one another because of the system that we're living under um they naturalize it, right? So instead of it being, oh, well, no, the American system has purposefully worked to create an underclass, purposefully worked to create people who are desperate enough so that they can be the grease on the wheels that keep the system going, right? Um, rather, no, it's actually just like some of these people are stupid and there's nothing you can do about it. And if you think that there's something you should do about it, you're just being a wishy-washy, hopeful, idealist liberal, right? I mean, that's yeah. fundamental to the worldview and the arguments that's put forward um, through all these people because, like, it's not scientific. It's something that, again, gets debunked time and time again. Again, I highly suggest that people want, like, a more 
um, in-depth like breakdown about these things. Uh, we had uh, Kevin Bird on the program. There's a link below in the show notes on YouTube um, for people to be able to watch that interview um, about the way that the right has tried to sort of present themselves as like the defenders of science, the defenders of, of, of truth. Um, and in reality, these are people who are operating on the extreme fringes and outside of, of like the scientific community at large, right? But I think it's also important, Matt, to like look as you were just doing with that 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 pamphlet, um, um, you know, from the 1800s, is seeing too that this whole idea that like society was one, at one time like hyper reactionary, and then you know over time like we started to learn, right, um, and then and then got better. Back in the 1800s, these people were saying they were being silenced. Um, for speaking the truth about, um, for, for speaking the truth about like races and intelligence and all of that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Like the, in the 1800s, they were saying we're being silenced by the woke mob, basically. Um, right. in the same way, fucking Jim Crow, yeah, like that motherfucker. First of all, that book was pr pr published in Connecticut. Like, I'm not sure. Oh, sorry, uh, the publishing, if, yeah, right? Like, I'm not sure if the publishing houses in the south were so like open to like, you know, anti-Confederate stuff during like fucking Jim Crow. I doubt it, you know, right? And so it's like, oh, no, you're invoking, yeah, 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 yeah. right? Like you're, you're invoking like Tom Paine and you're saying all this, all this shit about like, which is true about free speech. And you don't say like, oh, by the way, yeah, that fucking racial uh, um, uh, sort of like slaveocracy is sort of, reforming itself as like a Jim Crow sort of oligarchy. Maybe we should like look at that a little bit. No, that stuff, there's like hundreds of lynchings this year, but it's that the fucking New York Herald won't publish this phrenology about Lincoln. And look, there's, there's a lot of stuff I suggest people check out a personal favorite of mine um, to look at like this ideology and sort of challenging a lot of like the mythos that's out there um, is a book um, by uh, a, a guest that we've had on this program and also on TMBS, Matt Carp um called this vast southern empire which i don't know if you've read before matt but if yes. you haven't it, yeah it's excellent um you know and it makes the argument um for example that like despite like the kind of you know like the famous what's the famous jefferson davis quote that like all we ask is to be left alone completely false right um yeah. the planner slave owning class in the south had grand ambitions um uh, for not just the preservation of slavery in the south but actually the expansion of of that system that's why they were defending the slave system in brazil that's why they were defending the slave system in the caribbean that's why they were defending the slave system in texas right this is old as hell and on top of all of that the concept of whiteness right which i think sometimes too on like the liberal left people have gotten a bit confused about right is also a very modern invention right mm -hmm. because for a long time for example like the greeks and the romans were not they were sun people, right? To use Charles Murray's yes. terms, right? Right. These sun peoples and ice peoples that these racists love to talk about, right? For a long time, oh, the, the Greeks are barbaric. The Italians are barbaric. And it was a project of the 1800s in Germany um, to start to consider the Greeks and the Romans um, to actually be white. Right. right. So like th this, this concept, the way that they try to present like, well, this is Western civilization. These civilizations that they always want to point to the Greek and the Roman traditions were treated as Asiatic, right. To use like an old school term for these kind of things. Something outside of the European tradition, right. Mm -hmm. It was a modern project to try to defend the hierarchies and the systems 
in place today. And you're seeing the same kind of like if they wanted to use anthropology and history and antiquity um, in the 1800s, early 20th century to defend like the systems you had in America, in England and Germany, et cetera. Right. You're seeing the same thing with the Sam Harris and these folks trying to use bunk science like IQ to try to defend, uh, you know, systems of exploitation um, like like capitalism today. Right. It's the yep. same old argument um, that that is just finding new clothes for it. Yeah. And, you know, I just got to say, like, that's why, like, it is, and I appreciate Hitchens relishing that conversation and wishing that it was more of an opportunity to talk about, like, the race and class, the formation of an underclass through class oppression. Like, you know, um, and, and I think that's, like, how we have to think about, because, like, a lot of, like, like the liberal side of things, like, I, I, I sometimes think when the right finds these issues, I think they're doing it on like the weakness of the liberals saying like, well, maybe they actually believe Charles Murray uh, might have something uh, or maybe like they believe like, I mean, we see this on the trans issue. I think people are afraid like, oh, maybe they're right about this and they're not. And I do think like that's why it's important to be more Hitchensian and be like, yeah, let's fucking have that conversation. Yeah. No, because they, they, they thrive in it. I mean, yeah, I think you're, you're right that like they basically say we're the only ones willing to have this conversation. Therefore, there, there's a grand conspiracy to silence us on these things. Yeah. And like that ends up being like the real conversation that we're having. It's just like the conversation that no one wants to let us have. And it's like, well, you know, like, OK, no, we're letting you have this fucking conversation about about naturalizing like discrepancies and your fucking made up metric. Like it's bullshit. Like, and that's, that's the response that needs to be have. And like, it shouldn't be, I guess, that big of a surprise that a capitalist media isn't the most adept at dealing with the class component of that. I, I think that, um, the, the point that, the Hitchens made in that nation column to Matt, I just want to like re up it one more time. Mm-hmm. Um, that like in the long term of like human evolution, right. Yes. You know, like, let's be scientific about this. The difference um, in society, in like human beings, like from 2020 and people living um, 2000 BC, it's just not long enough for there yeah. to be these grand differences in 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 human biology, right, and in genetics that these people try to fixate on it and hold on to. It's just it's just scientifically illiterate to talk about things like that. Um, yeah. evolution is a very, very slow process. It's not something that like each generation, um, is sort of like transporting itself, um, into something that is just unrecognizable or so foreign or different, um, from, from, from each other. And like, you know, you, you can see this, um, you know, in, in, in medical science today that like, you know, the, these divisions that I think are very important, you know, kind of maybe like culturally and politically, um, because of like the role of uh, particularly like today, um, because of like the scientific racism that's like developed in like the 1800s. Right. And these things have real effects on people in the sense of like what it means for a person living in society today. Um, but there's just not enough time for these things to actually develop. Right. So like even just like trying to entertain the thesis for a second, um, I think that the, the point that Hitchens makes there and it's not unique to him. People make this point all the time. It's just right. scientifically illiterate to sit here and say um, that like, oh, well, this culture, this nation has like a different genetic makeup than that culture, and that civilization. Yes. I mean, I'll read this quote again as I'm uploading uh, a, a, a thing, but it was, um, um, there is no gene for IQ and there is uh, no genetic or evolutionary timing. 
uh, that is short enough to explain histories or societies. And like, that is the scientific point, right? Like, mm-hmm. like that, that timing, it, you're, you're not thinking clearly. And I, it just reminds me of this exchange uh, Dawkins had with uh, Brett Weinstein, uh, where they're talking about, I think, World War II. And I, it's been a while since I've played this clip, but I, I just want to throw this in here because I think Dawkins has to correct uh, Brett and be like, let's just relax on trying to explain everything like this. Well, very much so, yes. The, the Second World War. Yes. Right? Even the terminology. You had the fatherland effectively raping Mother Russia. I mean, that's even the terminology. Right? So... What this was, was a lineage-level phenomenon in which a population uh, went after two other populations, one that was internal to its borders or its near neighbors, and one population that was distant but had a great many resources. But the point is, understood from the perspective of German genes, uh, vile as these behaviors were, they were completely comprehensible from the level of fitness. It was abhorrent and unacceptable, but understandable that Germany should have viewed its Jewish population as uh, a source of resources. If you viewed Jews as uh, non-people, then whatever resources they had could be uh, appropriated for German genes. And likewise, the future of Germany lies in Russia. All of the resources of Russia, and how many million is it? 20 million Russians it took to turn the German war machine around. So what you have are these population against population conflicts. If you view it as group selection, it makes no sense. But if you view them as lineages, it makes a great deal of sense. And the belief structures that caused people to step onto battlefields and fight um, were uh, clearly comprehensible as adaptations of the lineages in question. Oh, my Lord. I think nationalism might be an even greater evil than religion. And I'm not sure that it's actually very helpful to talk about it in Darwinian terms. I think it's... Um, perhaps here's a, this might be a case where we do need to defer a little bit to historians and non-biologists and think about it in other ways. <laughs> yeah, so... It's like, you know, like, these are friendly folks, right? So, like, that's like that's as close to a box as you're going to get from Dawkins. <laughs> I mean, that long fucking preamble where Rich is like, ah, like recoiling separate times, be like, can you let me get a word in Uh, specifically the words? No, let's not try to explain this through fucking lineage selection. Like you fucking psycho. And like, and, and, and like, look like that. No scientifically literate person is convinced by what Brett Weinstein is doing there. That was pure flim flammery. Like there were to the point where, there was nothing Dawkins could even say to kind of soften, like, no, let's defer to historians. You will not hear Richard Dawkins say that about very many topics. That's very true. No, no, Richard Dawkins is somebody um, who said that, like, if an alien civilization ever discovers Earth, like, they won't be interested in our Shakespeare's, our Marx's, our Aristotle's. <laughs> They're going to be interested in Darwin, like, you know, the people who discovered scientific, um, you know, d- d- discoveries, right? That's a big thing for Dar- I mean, for Dawkins, uh, you know, to, to claim there. But it's like, I mean, because what, I mean, what, what Weinstein is saying, again, is like so insanely anti-scientific. Um, like the way he's trying to use Darwin, the way he's trying to use evolution there. I mean, what is the German 
um, people, right? This is not like a, a nation that has existed long enough to even like be considered, right? Like, hell, if we're saying like four or 5,000 years is like too short to be considered like as like a distinct group evolutionary, right? Um, you're talking about something that like was non-existent <laughs> until the turn, like until the 19th, 20th century, right? What the fuck are you going on about? Yeah. I mean, look, like people need to know, like, it's very simple what happened there. Brett Weinstein is a charlatan. He yeah. has no real, like. Dawkins sucks too, right? Dawkins is, sucks it's amazing well, yeah. that, like, yeah, no, totally. I mean, I'm, right. I'm thankful for him saying what he said, right? Like, it gives me a lot more respect for him. There's a difference. Like, Dawkins actually, like, Dawkins compared to Brett Weinstein, like, it's not close who has actual scientific credentials. Yeah. Brett Weinstein is not in the same league, regardless of what their politics are. Like, Brett's shit, he, was, he did a few things, and then he was adjunct, and then uh, uh, did a couple stunts, my opinion, um, which he explicitly said the trouble started when the union agreed to uh, diversity stuff in their contract. Um, now, like, he, he has since been rocketed to stardom based on that i will point out he is the brother of a partner of peter Thiel's, so that probably didn't hurt uh his rise so like he doesn't have any actual expertise on and none of this mm-hmm. shit um and i think that i don't know if there's a clear clip of, i mean there's there's lots of clips of him being absolutely batshit crazy but that one i don't know if there's a more damning clip like if you show that clip to somebody who's a weinstein fan and they don't think it it is damning they don't know shit about science yeah I know. I think it's, it, it is, it is really dangerous. Um, you know, I think sometimes it's important to sort of recognize the scope and like area that these people have influence over. I mean, maybe I'm just being rude here. I do think that Weinstein's like audience is like a very kind of like Reddit disaffected, strange character group of folks rather than being something that's like a leading voice in like the conservative Mm -hmm. movement, but it's congruous with the conservative movement. I mean, Murray is somebody who has been very influential, um, has been like a leader, somebody who is cited, somebody who's encouraged, um, you know, to give testimony, to give advice on policy, right? So Mm -hmm. Murray is somebody, you know, you should definitely know about if you don't um, know who that is. And know how to deal with that, uh, his arguments. But they're but they're they're doing the same thing, right? It's just as a different kind of, I don't know, portrayal or, or performance of of that same kind of old argument. Yeah. Oh man, yeah, that's well, it's wild stuff. I mean, talk, I mean, unless you had anything more on this, Matt. No, I think that's good. I would recommend, uh, folks. Uh, I was going to play it, but I think it might be a little bit indulgent. But episode cha- uh, 20 of Chapo Trap House. Is it long? I mean, well, you can do it. Um, well, we'll just play a little bit. Uh, we'll, we'll be a little bit indulgent. This is uh, them talking about uh, Charles Murray. We'll play the part where he, uh, he, he's involved in the Phoenix program. and um, But this is uh, Charles Murray growing up. Smarts idea of a smart person. <laughs> yeah. uh, Charles Murray is, he's lived a fascinating life. Charles Murray grew up in Iowa, where the angriest people in America live. As a boy, Charles burned a cross on a black neighbor's lawn, claiming he did not know of the racial animus behind this action. Charles <laughs> later went on to publish studies linking race to IQ. That's what he's. So I just want to say, like, that is absurd. Like, like fucking Iowa had the clan. Like yeah. Iowa, uh, I believe Dubuque, that part 
I don't know what kind of labor uh, uh, did those uh, the Mississippi River uh, uh, sort of connect like docks, uh, but you might want to look into it. Um, so like the idea you do, I don't know what um, what and sewer hill and the town in Iowa. I want to mention one other thing from Charles Murray's uh, past before we get into this delightful little quiz he's concocted. The Phoenix Project. Uh, yeah, no, he oh, yeah. in, in from 1965 to the early 70s, he was um, with basically this uh, it was something called the American Institutes for Research that was essentially a counterinsurgency program fronted by academics, by anthropologists in Thailand during the Vietnam War. And what they did was essentially use what they had studied and learned in the social sciences to better understand how to break, manipulate, and terrorize um, villages that they thought might go communist in rural Thailand, including things like using starvation, assassination, all kinds, but like with this kind of academic pseudo-psychological tilt about, you know, the Asian villagers' minds and how best they could be broken and manipulated to serve uh, U.S. policy in the region. And there's one other thing connected to this, and this is an article written in 1994 about Charles Murray when the bar, when the bell curve was first breaking, and he became like a national figure because a lot of very wealthy right wing people put a ton of money into promoting him and making him seem like some kind of you know genius. Um, this is an article. They mention his you know he, he the uh, the years he spent as a young man in Thailand. I'm quoting now from the New York Times article. What then took place in Bangkok? Quite a lot, it seems, since his friends from those days still tell tales of Murray's barroom antics, one that he nostalgically repeats. Murray explains that he and a Peace Corps friend once sat for 12 hours at a place called the Pat Pong Terrace, interviewing bar girls as they returned from their liaisons, taking, quote, all sorts of intimate notes about who did what that I don't care to repeat. The resulting document became an underground thriller among his friends. It, the article continues. Murray also makes clear that he did more than take notes, though he theatrically objects to hearing the women described as prostitutes. Don't use that word, he says. They were women of the evening, courtesans. We liked them, and they we liked them, and they liked us. Murray we continues. Made, Murray, wait, let me just finish. Let me finish. Murray continues. In a lot of places, you had to woo the ladies, he continues. It involves money on the man's part, yes, but it also <laughs> involves consensual relations. Holy <laughs> shit, dude, this is Carl Diggler talking. Okay, yeah. <laughs> pretty funny no that's just, I mean, I, I, yeah and like the, the point i guess the broader point besides being embarrassing is he's not a scientist murray has always been a think tank sort of gremlin yeah. and like sort of like a, a sort of mercenary uh like a borderline intelligence asset like like he's not a scientist at all and like when sam harris when he did that i knew at the time like you fucking set yourself a fire with this shit like you can say like oh we should no he, this isn't like some guy trying to get his science published uh it was a guy go, like with a like a sort of political message that he was selectively using science to try to prove mm -hmm. it's dark 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 stuff man well happy to you know try again to shed some light on this because 
unfortunately, it's one of those things that you can debunk time and time again. And it seems to always come back. Uh, people have been de- challenging this stuff for a long ass time in this country. And I think it's important to not ignore it um, because they're, they, they, they do thrive in like the sense of like, oh, this is the secret that they don't want you to tell. Right. This is yeah. the, the truth that the there's a coalition trying to block it instead of the reality that this is just pseudo scientific like this is pseudoscientific nonsense um, has been debunked time and time again by people who understand genetics, by people who understand, um, you know, human biology. Um, and it's also just very, very clear, I think, from anyone who has a brain that, as, as Hitchens says, it's probably more likely that America has a genuine interest in creating an underclass, both racialized and class based. Um, yep. So that it can use them to grease the wheels of this empire and this machine to do labor, um, to make this, to, you know, make all the nice things that folks like Charles Murray get to enjoy um, yeah. versus the idea that, oh, no, there's just a large segment of the population that is permanently um, sort of condemned to stupidity. Um, yep. So I, I think it's always worth it to sort of bring these things to the light of day and to challenge this nonsense because it's dangerous and like the, the social applications are very dangerous. Yep. Talking about new as old again, um, we have Thomas Kennedy uh, joining us with some breaking news um, and some really important analysis of what's happening in Florida um, and Ron DeSantis. Uh, there is a new um, proposed bill um, from some of DeSantis's allies that has the support um, to put on some of the most insane criminalization of undocumented people in this country. Um, you really should be paying attention to this. You know, I, I, I do still align, I think, with you, Matt, and most other people in saying that, like, I think DeSantis's presidential run, he's going to get just stomped on by Donald Trump. But as they're trying to set up this platform, people like DeSantis and people like Abbott, like, I don't always bring him up because I think the, the, the point and the threat of DeSantis is the same as the point of the threat of Abbott. It's like, Trump's going to win the Republican primary in 2024 from where I sit today, from my understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But both of these governors in trying to take that position from him are going to utilize the full um, weapons of the state to wage war on people with the hope that that helps them secure the nomination. So, you know, we could talk about how funny it is that, you know, Trump's going to wipe the floor with these people. But the fact is, is there's gonna be a lot of human consequences as these people try to, you know, shore up support and they're willing to brutalize people in order um, in, in, to pursue power. Yeah. And, you know, one thing we didn't touch on with Thomas, I just want to uh, point out is this is hell had an uh, interview with uh, journalist Jasper Craven. Uh, that is a baffle article, The Sunshine Empyrean Militarism of DeSantis. And this builds on uh, Mike Preisner's uh, reporting uh, about DeSantis's role at Guantanamo. Uh, and, you know, Harper's ex- uh, excerpted the part from uh, um, mm. Prisoner's interview with the detainee who was in the room when DeSantis watched people be force fed in Sure, the milky sort of drink. And DeSantis was there, as uh, as uh, uh, Jasper Craven points out, as sort of a post, oh, we're cleaning up Guantanamo and doing it by the books. But DeSantis is basically there to, as a fig leaf for that. And uh, um, it says something really dark about our country that, like, Gina Haspel continues okay. in her position, that a guy like this, um, a, a hatchet man for empire, for the worst, the, the torture fucking regime, yeah. <laughs> like uh is is rewarded uh like this and so i think like it's another reason why 
like we will continue to do like the fun stuff about Trump calling him tiny D and stuff. But uh, also with one eye on like this guy represents something like Trump totally. represents something really bad about America. But this is something like more in the shadows, dark. Trump is the the shit we all know is wrong with this country. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty much DeSantis is something a little bit darker to me and uh and so yeah i I just want to emphasize that before we play this with thomas well totally well let's go over this thomas uh interview welcome left reckoners i'm matt leck with me is david griscom hello david hey brother hello and joining us uh once again is thomas kennedy at Tomas ken you can find him on substack and also he's the host of the podcast why are we like this uh, join us once again to talk about uh, Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSantis, Meatball Ron, all these other uh, imp- uh, nicknames that we're getting treated to. But Ron's still... Tiny D is a pretty good one. That uh, Tiny D, that's right. That is the probably the best one, actually. I've been seeing, I've been seeing Rhino Ron uh, gain some popularity here in Texas, too, which is an interesting one, but... I like deep state Ron, but I, I haven't got, I want my, my goal is like for Trump to have to be, say like some people are calling him deep state Ron. That's not mine, but some people are saying it. Um, <laughs> but so, I mean, there's a number of bills. Actually, let's start with just the immigration bill that happened today. We were going to talk about the stop woke act, the blogger registration bill, uh, the other, um, the don't say gay stuff again, like, but, a new thing just dropped today. Uh, give us the skinny on that, Thomas. Yeah. So as I was telling you, this is like the death star of anti-immigrant legislation. I mean, I, I work on an immigrant rights space and I, I don't think I've ever seen a more extreme anti-immigrant bill filed at the state level. Hmm. So, you know, it's part of a proposal that was, you know, recently unveiled um, uh, by, by Ron DeSantis, you know, through his like you know, official capacity uh, from the governor's office. So, you know, it was written, you know, uh, at, at the highest level of state government here. And what it basically does is that it, um, well, first of all, it violates uh, HIPAA law uh, by mandating healthcare providers to disclose the immigration status of uh, patients. Mm. Uh, it mandates uh, E-Verify, which is a mechanism that uh, is used to basically check the immigration status of someone before employing them. And it's worth noting that Florida actually passed E-Verify in 2019, but because of the work of immigration advocates, along with like big business, the agriculture sector and the Chamber of Commerce, they passed uh, basically a toothless uh, E-Verify that had no enforcement. And because they were called out, uh, you know, for being rhinos, basically, they now have to pass this actual uh, e-verify legislation and what it's going to do it's going to basically destroy the agricultural sector here the hospitality sector you know people that need to work in this unfortunately highly exploitative capitalist environment but that need to work right like they need to work in the state so it's 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 really a, a mutually assured destruction in terms of the economy uh Another thing uh, that it does, it prohibits uh, people from uh, practicing, uh, undocumented people from practicing law uh, in the state of Florida. It uh, prohibits uh, the use of other uh, driver's licenses from other states in the state of Florida. Uh, It bars local funding for community ID and municipal ID programs, such as the one that's in in New York, for example. There's a municipal ID program for undocumented people, right? 
Although you guys also have now a driver's licenses for undocumented people, we do, we do not have that here. If you're undocumented in Florida, you cannot get a state level ID or driver's license. So, so these municipal or community ID programs are really, really crucial because it's the only sort of identification that someone can get. And the worst part of the bill uh, that's a civil rights nightmare is that it creates a third degree felony punishments for what the bill calls harboring or transporting an undocumented person within Florida. What does that mean? That means that your undocumented family person, uh, your undocumented friend, uh, coworker, whatever the case, if they're in your home and you know someone denounces you and the police comes, uh, immigration comes and you're found out, you are liable for a third degree felony. If you get pulled over driving with somebody you know, that's undocumented in your car, potentially you could be liable for a third degree felony. So this is really, really serious stuff that's happening in Florida. I I mean, those sorts, of, I mean, I don't want to invoke the fugitive slave laws, but like that, that sort of thing, like it does seem like, I mean, the way we're turning our populations as to sort of, uh, I mean, arms mm -hmm. of the state of state oppression. And it's just ridiculous. Like it, the one thing he's not doing is saying, uh, harsher penalties uh, for the capitalists that are exploiting uh, like immigrant labor. That's particular, like, like you say, like the, the ID stuff that just keeps people in the shadows. So they're able to be exploited even further. Yeah. In fact, you know, uh, I, I uh, worked uh, to establish a lot of these community ID programs uh, in Florida and in counties like Miami-Dade, Broward, uh, Palm Beach, Alachua, uh, and, you know, we had we had to work with law enforcement, you know, because it's, it's ID programs. They're just not getting passed if you don't have buy in from from, you know, from police and, and those those type of entities. Mm -hmm. And when doing the research for these type of community ID programs, one thing that we looked at was the 9-11 Commission report. Right. Because that's when ID laws were tightened. Right. That's when getting a, a, a driver's you, you could get a driver's license. Uh, before the 9-11 attacks in in Florida. In fact, my dad, who was undocumented, got his driver's license before the 9-11 attacks. It expired. He couldn't get another one after that. But the 9-11 Commission report actually advised against tightening ID laws and making them un un unavailable for undocumented people. Why? Because one of the main tenets of law enforcement is that you need to be able to ID as much people as possible in a database. So if you have, you know, 10% of Miami-Dade's population, which is the largest county in Florida, without any sort of identification and in the shadows, that's a problem for law enforcement, right? Whether you like it or not. And it's a problem for a myriad of different reasons, whether it's like natural disasters, a pandemic where people need to get vaccinated, yes. access to services, register their kids for schools, get a home, whatever the case. But my point is, even the 9-11 Commission report said, this is a bad idea. And politicians did it anyways, because we all know, we all remember the 9-11 time. It was a time of witch hunt, of paranoia, of going after Muslims, immigrants, blah, blah, blah. Uh, on, on this, like, you know, I know, you know, it just came out so it's hard to sort of predict. But maybe for folks like who aren't as familiar with what's going on in Florida, I mean, um, what's your sense of like the likelihood of something like this passing, like the, the the sense of like the Republican coalition in Florida right now and sort of being in lockstep with DeSantis and this wing of the Republican Party? Well, there was a, 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 a an interesting article in the Tampa Bay Times today, which is the newspaper of Central Florida area, 
they were uh, basically detailing how no other governor in, in recent Florida history has had so much control of the legislature. Mm. And look, as somebody that's been working, you know, in, in, in the legislative session, I used to work for a state representative called Jose, Jose Javier Rodriguez, a Democrat. I, I, I've been there where the sausage has made. It's true. I've never seen this level of compliance mm. from the legislature. Even Rick Scott, I mean, he would get, you know, his bills not passed. He would veto stuff. He had an adversarial relationship with the Republican Party of Florida and the state legislature, not Ron DeSantis. And now, because of the complete failure of our pathetic Democratic Party in this state, the they have super majorities in both chambers, and they have all the executive cabinet positions. Mm -hmm. So they, they really have unchecked power, right? I mean, this this state has been controlled by Republicans since you know the the early two thousands. So it's been twenty over twenty years of this, but now they literally have unchecked power to pass whatever through committees, pass whatever through the floor. It, it's it's really bad. Let's talk about another one of those bills, uh, SB 1316, the uh, blogger registration law. Now, as uh, as an independent journalist yourself who has uh, uh, been noticed by the DeSantis administration, can you just fill us in about what this blogger registration bill is? And, and like maybe the guy who... Like again, like you said, like this is a very uh, legislature that's very beholden or uh, simpatico with DeSantis. So to start, let's let's look at the sponsor of the bill. So the sponsor of the bill is a Central Florida Republican called Jason Bredor, who was actually elected through what's called a, a, a ghost candidate scheme. So you guys might be familiar with this, but in Florida, our energy monopoly, Florida Power and Light, actually uh, used consultants and dark money, uh, 501c4 groups, to funnel money to basically NPA candidates that they recruited and they they bribed, they paid, because recruiting an NPA candidate is not illegal. They actually paid these uh, NPA candidates to, to run, making it illegal. And people actually went to jail and were charged, including a former Republican state senator for this. So this, uh, uh, the sponsor of this bill was elected, elected through this voter fraud scheme. And because there's been so much coverage of this, uh, not just by mainstream newspapers, but by, uh, you know, bloggers and independent journalists like Jason Garcia, who you, you guys should check out. He has a substack called Seeking Rents, uh, exposes, you know, corporate corruption here in the state. This is basically a retribution bill, right, uh, against uh, people who are exposing this sort of like corporate grift and meddling uh, within our democracy in Florida. And what the bill does is that it basically... Uh, would have um, independent journalists, uh, bloggers, uh, really any journalist, really, registered with the state of Florida uh, if they cover, you know, the politics, really, like Ron DeSantis, the state legislature, or the executive cabinet. And if they don't do this, uh, they would be subject to fines. And, you know, it, it's very interesting because immediately after it was filed, it was noted that a similar law was passed years ago in Russia, uh, which, you know, has not a friendly environment for, you know, uh, freedom of the press. And also in, uh, in Hungary, right? We're under, under mm -hmm. the right wing government of Viktor Orban. And right. the, the, the law was so, because this was during the, the early tenure of, of, 
uh, Victor Van this law was passed uh, in 2010, there was such criticism by the European Union and the larger European community that eventually those like registration provisions were uh, repealed. So what I'm trying to say here is that this is a law that was like too much for the Orbanian Hungarian government. And they're yeah. trying to pass it here in Florida. I mean, well, it's why it's entirely unworkable. Like you said, like the fines, it's like $25 a day per, per, per post up to $2,500. And oh, you have to, yeah. you have to like disclose who funded your post. Like, what does that mean? Like, do I have to like give you my, all my Patreon subscribers, like or sub subscribers? It's just insane. It's absurd, but you know, we have seen here in Florida that constitutionality you know, it's not something that they give a shit about when passing mm -hmm. these laws, right? Uh, they just, yeah. they, they're basically throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks because what they really want is the headline, right? They want the headline and they want the attention. And look, hey, if, if a conservative court and some crazy ass right-wing judge make, makes it stick or it goes all the way up to the Supreme Court, which we know is a conservative court, make, you, know, uh, you know, gives it, you know, the, 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 the judicial president, Great, but they don't give a shit. They're throwing shit at the wall, hoping it sticks, yeah. and just getting that sweet gratification of that headline. Well, I mean, they really can't lose. Sorry, David, just real quick, but they can't lose the way. Like, if the Supreme Court verifies it, then they have a permanent-ish uh, win. If they throw it down, it's like, look at where it's fighting the establishment on this stuff. The win-win for them, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, like this is the thing. It, it's you know, like I'm I'm here in Texas, and like it's very it's been very worrying to watch this kind of rivalry between DeSantis and. Greg Abbott, um, you know, there's like a joke here, like amongst journalists that like, if you want to predict the future in Texas, you'd need to subscribe to the Miami Herald, right? Because it's basically they're, they're both doing this kind of thing with each other, trying to see who can sort of like outright wing the other person. And I think what you're saying is exactly right um, in the sense of like, yeah, these things might not be constitutional. These things might fail, but it's a win because they get to go up when they're both running for president and say like i try to do these you know red meat things for our base and you know the broken court system or whatever you know prevented us um from doing it but like i was curious like specifically on this um you know blogger uh, journalist like registration thing like what even is like the rationale that they're putting forward for people is it to stop like disinformation or to stop like dark money you know i'm just curious like how they're even trying to sell this to people because i don't know like maybe I'm being too sympathetic to like conservatives, but even, you know, trying to understand that ideology, it feels like this is completely out of bounds um, for, for certain folks. The free speech yeah. folks. Yeah. 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 Well, where's Glenn Greenwald, right? Where's <laughs> yeah, wait for that. You never know. Thank you folks. Let's just build a coalition of unlikely allies here <laughs> in defense of the first amendment. Uh, no, they're never going to come. But um, so basically what they're uh, saying is that this is an election transparency issue because mm -hmm. what their, their rationale is that these uh, bloggers, these journalists are actually not journalists at all. They're paid advocates. You know what I mean? They're, mm -hmm. they're activists and we deserve to know uh, who funds them. <laughs> but, you know, like advocacy journalism is protected under the first amendment there's no like you know journalism clause in the constitution that says that it needs to be objective and nobody can you know what i mean it's just it's just nonsense yeah. but again it, it's what we're saying they don't care right this is just about going after the fake news media and you know and the and whatever and 
it's it's like Matt said. If it sticks, great. They went after the fake news media, and if it doesn't, then look at that. You know, we're we're fighting the establishment at every turn we get. It's it's wild how they make vehicles. Sometimes they make a vehicle out of free speech, and that's the vehicle for like saying, "Hey, we need to like you know, uh, you know attack um, scholarship of of whiteness in this country." Other, but they can e- easily jettison the free speech stuff in favor of as they are in this case, like ooh, election transparency and dark money. These bloggers, they're basically the uh, the the head of uh, dark money. It's like, well. Maybe we should do some about PACs and like the actual real dark money spend before we go after like, you know, uh, people who have Substack, uh, you know, uh, uh, supplementary income. Uh, ridiculous. Yeah. And uh, actually, I wanted, to, I wanted to touch on another bill because mm-hmm. you mentioned Texas and the rivalry between Abbott and DeSantis. So I'm sure you guys and a lot of people listening to this podcast will remember the migrant uh, flights to Martha's Vineyard Mm -hmm. uh, last year. So there was a lot of controversy, uh, obviously because of like the cruelty, the fact that they use these people as props, they gave them bad information about their asylum cases, possibly sabotaging them. But The Intercept and others had really, really good investigative pieces that showed that the the, the company that was contracted to to, to run those flights was actually a company that exclusively donated to uh, uh, Republic, uh, Florida Republican mm. campaigns, including Larry Keefe, who is Ron DeSantis's quote-unquote safety czar, who designed the program. So there was like, also there was like, there's like, you know, law in Florida that you can't actually use state funds to, uh, uh, to basically uh, have undocumented immigrants or transport undocumented immigrants to sanctuary jurisdictions, which is exactly what they did, right? There's been a bunch of different lawsuits to try to get an injunction, you know, a, 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 a freeze on, on, on the usage of that money, uh, those tax dollars for these sort of, sorts of programs. So they actually called a special session before the beginning of the Florida legislative session, which is today, spending tens of thousands of dollars on a special session just so they could pass an actual bill that gave DeSantis $10 million to continue these migrant flights and that basically rewrote the language of previous immigration bills saying that they could actually move immigrants from anywhere in the United States to any other part of the United States, giving them, you know, blank check, you know, in terms of like, you know, judicial liability. And the bill also included uh, uh, approval from the state legislature, uh, not just on the usage of these $10 million that were, were now approved, but the usage of the money last year, basically, avoiding an audit at the state level on how they use the money. And they can do all of this with no bids. So even, even if you approve the usage of this money for these flights, they don't have to bid for the best deal, you know, in terms of, you know, how much it's worth. So mm-hmm. there's just be, my point is beyond the cruelty of just the actual fact of these migrant flights, right? What they did to these people. It is such an obvious grift that was mm-hmm. used also as a kickback for their donors. And so much of Florida is that, right? There's just so much grifting going on. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's awful. I know um, in Bear County in San Antonio, they're investigating uh, um, some of those uh, DeSantis people for human trafficking. And hopefully something comes out of that. But like, no, it's it, it's exceptionally dark. And like, you know, there's lots of other examples of things like the, the China 
um, Chinese citizens owning property. I, I know in Florida, they're making a big deal about that. They're doing the same thing here. I don't know the population of Florida um, as well, but there's plenty of people here on green cars. There's a sizable like Chinese population here, um, you know, where you're telling people who like might work, you know, a, a job in, in the Houston area that they can't like buy a condo condominium, right? It's something very different than like the proposed argument that, you know, we're trying to prevent the Chinese Communist Party from slowly <laughs> taking over um, our, our, our area. But like, I'm curious, like, I mean, there's more bills I think we want to get to, but I'm just curious, you know, from, from your perspective, somebody who's, you know, in Florida, somebody who's been active, somebody who knows a lot of, of these things. I mean, what has happened in, in the state that has sort of like allowed Ron DeSantis to sort of get into this position of power, the dominance of, of the Republican Party um, in the state? Because like, it's a pretty significant uh, trend for it. Not because, you know, like, in recent memory, you know, Florida was sort of like, you know, one of the more famous like purple states. And now like it very much feels like more of a Texas in the sense of like the Republicans dominating uh, state level politics there. So this is a, a, a big question. Oh, really? uh, so, so uh, you know, uh, bear with me here. But people, you know, have to understand. And I think they, they are starting to understand that now. But Florida is the South. It's a southern state. You mentioned the fugitive uh, uh, slave laws, Matt. I mean, like Jim Crow is a real part of Florida history, and uh, and it's still with us today. It, you know, when you when you go to Tallahassee and you walk inside the Florida Capitol, it's a, a good old boys club. It's very very white and very very southern, and it, and it sure feels that way. So, you know, another thing is, yeah, Florida was a purple state, and it was more competitive. And maybe it can be in the future, but it, it has been controlled by the Republican Party since the late 90s, right? So so they, they've had a, a, a clear majorities, not super majorities, that's, that's a recent development, but they have, they've had clear majorities in the state legislative cha chambers. They've controlled the governorship and, uh, and, and most of the positions in the executive cabinet. Um, you know... The Democratic Party here, you know, traditionally, historically, it was very, very powerful, right? All the way up until the turn of the millennium. But it was a Dixiecrat party, right? It was a Southern Democrat party that, you know, with, with you know, the, the shifts in, in, you know, in, in like the political alliances and sentiment from the 1960s and the Civil Rights Act and the realignment, it gradually lost power uh, until, you know, it, it was just decapitated uh, in the early 2000s. And they've just, you know, they, they haven't been able to build uh, a, a, a competent organization. They haven't been able to, to build good infrastructure, aside from when Obama won the state twice. But that was more about Obama as a candidate and his national operation than the Florida Democratic Party. Another thing is that the Florida Democratic Party is a corporatist party. I'm involved with them. And I'll tell you, they have a list of corporations mm -hmm. like Florida Power and Light, like Big Sugar, you know, uh, U.S. Crystals, that they can't really attack in, uh, pre in, in press conferences or press releases uh, because they're donors to the party. And if you go to the annual gala, uh, you can see all these companies are in their little booklet of donors, right? Mm. So they're, they are a pay-for-play. They're, they're controlled opposition. Uh, another factor that I think it's really, really important here is that Florida is extremely right-wing in terms of its diasporas, right? Mm -hmm. I'm from Argentina. 
So when I went to vote at the consulate, and I voted for Fernandez, right? I voted for the Peronista, you know, Alberto Fernandez, Cristina Kirchner as the vice president. I went and I voted for the center left party. Like I think, like ninety-two percent of the people in, uh, of Argentinians in 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 Miami voted for Macri, who was the neoliberal right-wing candidate, and it sure felt that way when I was at the consulate. I think like ninety-six percent of Brazilians recently voted for Bolsonaro. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, the Cubans tend to be very very right-wing. The Venezuelans, the Colombians, you know, when in the recent elections uh, on the runoff between Rodolfo and Petro. Uh, overwhelmingly voted for Rodolfo Fernandez. So you, you, you have just very, very right-wing uh, immigrants that come here, unlike the, the Hispanics from the Southwest, right, which tend to be, you know, more Mexican. And that's where Bernie did really well. I worked in the Bernie campaign in 2020. And we absolutely crushed it in Nevada and California. We did pretty well in Texas. In Florida, we lost by 40 points, remember? Uh, because they have this sort of like anti-communist, anti-socialist mm-hmm. sentiment to them. Um, and then the last thing I'll, I'll say is that there was a real realignment with the COVID era, right? Uh, I think uh, the Republican Party of Florida and Ron DeSantis were able to like really seize this like, you know, uh, free Florida mantra and like ingrain it into people. I remember I would, uh, I saw him do a press conference during the, er- during the early COVID days. And he said something like the Zoom class wants to keep you locked in your home while they have their little cushy remote jobs. And I was like, that's dangerous. You know, that's some real like pandemic populism right there. And then, you know, they're they're making the place unaffordable, right? Like we have now the most expensive like rental and housing markets in the country and, you know, higher inflation than anywhere else in the country. So people are starting to move out. And retirees, you know, like asshole, like New Yorkers and people, you know, like boomers from the Midwest are moving in. And those people aren't voting Democrat and they're not voting progressive. They're voting Republican. So you're starting to see like, yeah, like a a demographic change that's that's not necessarily working in our favor. So I think all of these things and there's there's, you know, I'm sure there's things that I've missed as well. But all of these ingredients are creating a stew for these sort of like extremist you know, right-wing politics that like bucked the national trend both in 2020 and 2022, right? I mean, the Democrats can criticize them all you want, but they had a pretty good midterm election, right? I mean, they 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 they, they defied expectations, except in Florida. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I want to talk a little bit like that, the Florida stuff, because you know, if and if you want to comment on "Don't Say Gay" or the "Stop Woke" like these sorts of bills, um, but like, broadly, like, I'm curious how. Um, is, 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 are the Florida Republicans, are they post Trump? Uh, because the COVID stuff is interesting to me. Like they're both trying to out irresponsible each other on COVID, even though they both took measures like Trump will be like, well, he closed the beaches for a while. And Trump himself like was in charge of warp speed and the, like the vaccine stuff. And they, they don't, of course they're not going to take credit for that. I'm just curious, like, uh, that angle of, let's talk about Trump, um, and, and that, uh, side of it like are the legislature are they like lining up behind DeSantis now so that's an interesting question the the, the Republican Party of Florida just had um its uh, elections for leadership right they elected a, a new a new chair mm-hmm. and the 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 election was largely seen as a proxy war between the DeSantis camp 
who ran uh, this guy named Evan Power, who's the, a, a real shithead from uh, Leon County, which is up north. He's the chair of Leon County. And Christian Siegler, who uh, is the vice chair of the Republican Party of Florida. Another shithead. He was actually, uh, he, was, he filmed himself during the January 6th uh, riots. So, we, yeah, that, that's the Republican <laughs> Party of Florida. Mm-hmm. So Evan Powers was a DeSantis guy through and through. And Siegler was part of the, 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 the Trump camp, right? And actually, the guy that won was Siegler. And, uh, you know, Trump did not, like, he, he, you know, as usual, he wasn't, you know, subtle. He definitely took the opportunity to get some digs at DeSantis. He put out, like, a statement saying that the Republican Party of Florida proved that, you know, they stand behind Trump and his campaign for president and Siegler's his man. So, you know, I, I think, yes, the legislature, and it's not like Siegler's going to go out and, you know, fight DeSantis or whatever. Mm-hmm. But there's, I think there's a lot of hesitancy to go after Trump, you know. Uh, they know that he is the top dog. And something re- recent that happened, too, that really illustrates these sort of proxy battles is that in this legislation, the, the, the anti-immigrant legislation that we started this, this podcast with, there was also supposed to be a provision that they could add, but as of now it's not there, to strip in-state tuition for undocumented students. That's basically... You know, if you don't know, it allows undocumented students to pay at the same rate as U.S. citizen students. I actually, when I was undocumented, I couldn't go to the university because it was so expensive to pay as a foreign student. So this is something that's really important to me because, you know, I lived it. DeSantis initially proposed including stripping institution in this law, and it's not there. When DeSantis came out with the proposal, Rick Scott who actually signed the in-state tuition law in 2014 during, you know, remember when the Republicans were trying to be more uh, pro-immigrant before, before Trump, but after the Obama 2012 defeat. Right. Rick Scott came out that same day uh, uh, when DeSantis proposed stripping this away and said that he completely opposed doing this and that he would have, he would sign the law to give in-state tuition to undocumented kids today if he could, and that he thought it was the wrong thing to do. Now, if you ask me, I don't think Rick Scott did this because he's, you know, seen, you know, his, his better angels. It's right. because it was, it was an opportunity to take a dig uh, at DeSantis, you know, and Rick Scott yeah. is a Trump guy through and through, you know, he goes after Mitch McConnell, he goes after DeSantis, uh, and, and, and they know that, you know, attacking this, like, like, you know, the DACA dreamer undocumented students is not, you know, the, the most popular thing to do in terms of anti-immigrant you know, uh, legislation, mm-hmm. not that Trump wouldn't, right? But y- y- you have to look at these sort of things and who's attacking who, and there's yeah. always an ulterior motive and there's always like politics involved. No, I mean, I think these proxy battles are like, are, are, are really interesting because, you know, just like cross-state like comparisons and things like that, like DeSantis is holding a lot of sway with elected Republicans right now here. Like, I think there are a lot of people mm-hmm. in the Texas ledge who are sort of taking cues from what DeSantis is up to. Certainly Abbott's doing it, but Abbott's doing like in opposition to him. You know what I mean? Well, I think some people in the Texas ledge are sort of seeing this move. And I think it's important to sort of make a distinction between like the base of the Republican Party in the sense of the voters and then Republican politicians and candidates, right? Because, I mean, I'm curious what, what you think in, in, in Florida, because obviously, you know, it's DeSantis' home state. Um, but I still do think that, like, Trump has, like, the Republican voter base, like, in the bag. Um, 
But I think that there's a very clear opportunity right now for the Republican Party, which doesn't want to have to deal with the Trump stuff, sort of trumping it, you know, doing whatever he wants and not always listening to the best wishes of the of the party, trying to sort of make it seem like DeSantis is like, you know, the next coming of 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 Trump. Um, so I think like there's a lot of support for him within like the Republican Party in the sense of like officials and members of like county level Republican stuff like that. Um, but I'm curious, like in, in Florida, if, if you think that there's, you know, like obviously like the, you, DeSantis would have a unique advantage um, there that like he might not have in other states when it comes to voters. Well, so there, there I don't know if you guys saw this. It was circulating on Twitter. Um, I actually tweeted it because it was so funny. But Brian Kilmeade was in a in a Florida diner recently. Uh, I think it was in Vero Beach, mm-hmm. and he was like running around, basically trying to fa- fa- find a DeSantis supporter. Like literally asking, "Are you excited for Ron DeSantis?" And like every single person was like, "Nah, nah, I'm I'm with Trump all the way." And he <laughs> found a woman with a DeSantis T-shirt. Mm-hmm. And he goes up to the woman, and the woman was like, "I'm actually, I actually kind of like Nikki Haley, but you know, <laughs> if, if 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 it comes down to it, I, I'm gonna vote Trump." So like, he couldn't find a single DeSantis. Wow. I mean, obviously, this is anecdotal. Mm-hmm. Uh, the things you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not, I'm not really a pundit, right? And I don't know how to predict it. But what I do think is that DeSantis is a fucking nerd. He's a fucking nerd. He's a loser. His voice is whiny. I mean, I'm not trying to flip it, right? Like, he does not have charisma. Uh, he's short, which I'm sorry, like, in, in American presidential politics, like, it matters if your opponent Trump. is 6'4 and you're 5'8. Yeah, tr- which Trump is 6'4. Trump's a tall guy. Yeah, so I, I don't know, man. I, I think, like, if they're in that debate stage and he calls them, like, Tiny D or Meatball Ron and DeSantis, you know, responds with his, like, whiny little voice. I just don't see it, man, but I could be wrong. No, I mean, totally. A couple of weeks back, uh, we had uh, Luke Savage on the show and we played a little video of like Ron DeSantis's response to some of Trump's bars in the media. And he's just like, I don't want to attack Republicans. I want to build this report. Yeah. It's like, oh, you're going to you're going to get smoked, man. Yeah. But, you know, it's, as it's, like the, the president, sorry. bro, like the, the first thing that Trump ever did on the first presidential uh, debate that he ever was. Is they asked him, would you will you support uh, any anybody else on this stage if they win the nomination? And he was like, nah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> I'm gonna win. <laughs> and you know what? It was kind of fucking epic, and people loved it. And like, really, like your response to being attacked is gonna be, well, I I don't attack all the Republican candidates. <laughs> Like, I'm sorry, like, you sound like a yeah. pussy, like, it's not gonna go well with your electorate. Well, um. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think totally. It's. In, I mean, I know we've made, we've made this point a bunch, Matt, but I think you might be interested in hearing this, Thomas. That, that uh, there's a, there is a very weird like astroturf DeSantis thing that goes on too. Like whenever we do DeSantis com- content on this channel, we'll just get like a plethora of like pro DeSantis like comment commenters, right? And like you know, like maybe it's anecdotal. Maybe they are just like you know people who regularly are tuning into like our show to you know defend Ron DeSantis. But something smells a little off to me when when it's so orchestrated in a way that like it's noticeable to me in the analytics that like doing anything on DeSantis like blows up um, and gets like a lot of engagement from people saying that they really really like him. Um, you know that yeah, I, I've had serious doubts about like the actual grassroots capacity of his presidential run. But I'm 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 curious, like, because this happened with Beto here, um, in sort of the opposite way, 
where when Beto ran for president, um, he lost a lot of favor uh, with Democratic voters in the state of Texas, right? Because mm. they were like, you were supposed to be fighting for us. And then, you know, you seem to be much more interested in being in Iowa or like going and doing a presidential campaign. Um, you know, do you have some some sense that like, because it's very clear that uh, DeSantis is, you know, priming himself for and he was just here in texas recently you know giving a big speech um he's going around the country trying to become more of a national um figure do you think that there might be some kind of frustration in florida that might come out of him you know sort of touring the country and maybe not being as focused on uh, the state of florida look i don't know i don't know because uh the Flo Flo floridians are very culturally different than texans right mm -hmm. um and I, I can see that, you know, the, the Texan character being more offended than the Floridian. The Floridian, yeah, I, it's, it's, <laughs> hard for, it's hard for me to say, honestly. Uh, what I will say is that, again, I, I think at the end of the day, uh, you know, Trump is, uh, ha has that advantage built out for him, right? That he can say, look, I'm not abandoning my post, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm not, and he's going to hit him on that. He's going to say, look, I made you. You yep. came to me crying for an endorsement. You had an advertisement teaching your kid. Did you guys see that ad where he taught his toddler how to build a wall? Yeah. Yeah. You, had, an ad, you, had, you, had, you had a campaign ad with your baby reading him my book, The Art of the Deal. You came crying to me for an endorsement. You got the job and now you're abandoning it. So mm -hmm. I, I could see that line of attack being used against him, and I could see it being effective for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he's poor. He's poorer than me. Um, <laughs> Thomas Kennedy, uh, host of Why Are We Like This uh, at T O M A S K E N N on Twitter. Thank you so much for uh, joining us once again, uh, Thomas. No, and, and thank you guys for uh, you know uh, giving giving uh, some coverage to what's happening in the state uh, because it's really bad and uh, it could. It could be spread uh, nationwide. And I, I always tell people, uh, if you're not careful, the Florida of today is the America of tomorrow. So, mm. Yeah, and without the weather, um, which is you know, yeah. <laughs> even worse. <laughs> Thanks, Thomas. For sure. All right. Yeah, uh, it was great talking to uh, Thomas. Uh, I'm glad he shares um, our perspective on Ron being a whiny little. Uh, now with the knee slapper at the end, <laughs> that literally cracked me up on the second go. With the, um, the politics weather. without the weather. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, be so hard. No beaches, no Miami. I mean, <laughs> it's like all the like the cop stuff. I think they're like recruiting a whole bunch of cops and giving a bunch of surveillance powers, and it's like. I'm glad I visited fucking Miami and got my experience because I'd be too paranoid now to do, frankly, what I was doing in my 20s in Miami. Um, yeah, probably. Where you get rolled up on by DeSantis's blogger police. <laughs> um, um, but, uh, well, I know. And, like, really, it was really great having Thomas on. I think, you know, getting those kind of more, like, grounded analysis is maybe the way to put it of, of what's going mm -hmm. on is something that I think is really needed. And, like, you know... As we say, like on this program all the time, you know, one of the big projects of, of projects of left reckoning is trying to cover what's happening in this country. And so much of left media is going to hyper focus on national politics and then also like what's sort of happening in, you know, part, you know, big cities, particularly no offense, Matt, mm -hmm. New York. Um, and like it really does matter. Um, all, all of these fights, not only for the people that are living there, but these are the, the developments of the Republican Party. That's where these movements are going. And I think it's really important to keep tabs on it. Um, yeah. 
But uh, we're going to go over to the post-game, folks, and to tease that really quick, Matt and I are going to be talking about none other than Marion Williamson. So if you've been curious what our thoughts are on that uh, campaign and some of the things that have been said um, and, and proposed so far, uh, join us at patreon.com slash reckoning. We'll also be taking calls and questions from our wonderful listeners. Uh, appreciate everyone so much. Don't forget this Thursday, I think like 5 Central, don't quote me on that, maybe four or five, something like that. We're going to have Aaron Thorpe on the program for this week's Griscom stream. Um, we'll be taking questions then as well. Um, having Aaron on, I, I, I mean, I want to talk about a few things with Aaron, but one of the things that is sort of the reason I thought he'd be a perfect person to hang out and talk to for a bit is that like, I know that they're very inspired by like a future vision of society. Like this is somebody, if you follow them on Twitter, who posts like really fascinating and interesting um, sci-fi, you know, um, art, you know, to sort of imagine what a better world could look like. And I think yeah. collectively the left has sort of abandoned that project of like hope for the future. It's very dystopian um, and scarce and sparse, a lot of these things. So I figured mm -hmm. having Aaron on to talk about, you know, what happened with the left and the future and trying to reclaim that radical tradition. I think that's gonna be a lot of fun. So keep your eye out for that on Thursday. Yeah, Aaron's the best. All right, folks, well, join us at patreon.com slash left reckoning. Appreciate everyone so much. See you all in a couple minutes. Peace.